You are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. Seated. Chapter 4. Tonight we will kind of take out two sections tonight in, in, the, in the book of Acts. Uh, next week, I will not be here. I am really excited for next week. Uh, I'm sad that I will miss next week, um, but I am excited for you all. Uh, Judd Richardson is going to be preaching next week, and he will round out Acts 4 for us. I'm really excited uh, for him to get to minister the word to you. Uh, certainly be as gracious to him as you guys are to me, uh, but I'm looking forward to hearing it on, uh, on audio next week. So, so please, show up for that. Uh, encourage his heart, um, but also I, I know you'll be encouraged. I've already uh, met with him, had, had him kind of share his heart on, on the text, and uh, I've already been encouraged with, with where God seems to be leading him. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty pumped about that. Um, I'm headed to, to Greenville, South Carolina, to be with East North Church. Uh, they are having a, a missions, uh, kind of a church planting emphasis month, uh, and so I'm, I'm slot three. I'm, I am super pumped to, to get back with them, kind of give them an update on, on you guys. They are really excited to hear about what God's doing here. Uh, it's been over a year since I've seen them, so I mean, I've, I've talked with Todd a good bit, uh, but the people, I mean, it it's probably feels like in many ways I'm coming back from the dead, especially with the pandemic having occurred this year. You know, it's it's easy to, to lose track. And so I'm I'm really excited for the people to get to hear what God is is doing here. Um, I know it'll really encourage their heart. Uh, and you can pray for, for Todd as well. You can imagine uh, it's it's difficult pastoring in a pandemic. It's difficult for everybody. So don't feel too bad for pastors. Uh, but do understand it is it is difficult. If I can say it this way, Pastors have really, uh, and I don't say this about us necessarily, I say it about pastors who have well-established churches who kind of in one sense had to shut down and then restart up. We got the privilege of just, we just kind of started, right? We just kind of got going. Uh, churches like East North, I mean, they, they had to shut down and then kind of come back. And if you think about it, I mean, hospitals kind of lead the way in like frontline working in terms of dealing with this COVID situation but I would say like right behind hospitals are actually pastors who are helping establish protocols. Even like before schools started working, uh, before businesses really started opening up again, uh, it was really pastors who were charged with this idea of like, I mean, we've got to deal with people and protocols and safety and our, our, how to pastor our people. I mean, really, you know, if you can think about the amount of education pastors receive in seminary about pr- uh, COVID protocols, just, just think about that, all right? Uh, we, we barely get any coaching on how to do a church budget. Uh, now imagine us trying to be uh, half the CDC, right? Having to do, uh, you know, listen to the CDC and try to work uh, within protocol restrictions. And it's just, if you can imagine, it's hard. It's hard for pastors. And they're just trying to feel, where are people? 
Uh, that's, I know my dad would express that. Uh, it's just hard to feel like you know where anything is normally. Uh, so I'm really hoping to, to encourage Todd, and you can, pray, you can pray for me and my ministry this week. Uh, that'll be my main focus, is really just to encourage Todd and Brooke down there uh, and see if uh, God would allow us to, to kind of speak into I'd love I, I know they're really curious to see uh, what God really is doing here and to spend some time with them, uh, kind of some downtime, and, and let them know story after story of this is how God has been working in our midst, and really East North Church is, is a part of what God has been doing. So I, I really want to encourage them this week, so you can pray for that. Uh, you can certainly pray for our safety as well as we, as we travel down. All right, uh, Acts chapter 4. Uh, we'll go ahead and read our passage for, for this evening. It's a, it's a longer passage. We're going to be reading uh, from, from verse 13 all the way down to verse 31. Uh, so you can, you can follow along. It's kind of two main sections in your journal. Um, I'm not necessarily following, if you're asking, like, how are you charting this out? I'm not necessarily following the, the ESV uh, little divisions, but it ends up kind of working out that way sometimes. But this is the larger chunk. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported to uh, to them what the chief priests and, and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, whom through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? And why did the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders were performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place with which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We talked a lot in the past two weeks specifically about this difference between the power of 
uh, promise, God's promise specifically, and the promise of, uh, no, I, mean, I knew I was going mi- to mix, mix this up, right? The, the promise of earthly power, right? There's a promise out there of earthly power. If you can just lay a hold of power, you can find some level of salvation. You can achieve the dreams that you want to achieve. You can, in one sense, even restore what you feel like has been lost. You can control what you need to control. There's that way of living. It's idolatrous, but there's that way of living. Or, or you can simply rest in the power of God's promise. And that means that instinctively you have to kind of render yourself powerless and you need something outside of yourself to cling on to. So we talked a lot last week about this idea of faith. We trust in the promise that's outside of ourselves and we rely on the power that God has granted to us in the person and the work of Jesus. And so we talked last week about how God's power is received. It's received by grace and it's received by faith that God's power is instinctively good in the face of evil. It undoes what is broken, and that it is also exclusive. It is absolutely exclusive in the sense that no one else is claiming that they can resurrect the dead. And Jesus is certainly claiming that that is the promise that he's giving to people, Uh, whereas the Sadducees in our text and in our story uh, are really not claiming any sort of resurrection. They're kind of proclaiming the power of religion, which as you can imagine, and as you know of your own experience and in our world, offers very limited power or simply no power at all. So tonight we're going to continue to discuss this idea of God's power. So I want to uh, talk about two specific things. I want to talk first about the idolatrous power uh, that the Sadducees were Uh, we're pursuing. And then I want to pursue yet again another angle looking at God's power. Uh, So let's let's go ahead and break open to to the first uh, discussion point here, the idolatrous power. And whatever that looks like, idolatrous power pursues death in the face of life. Now this is a tricky claim because I'm actually maybe assuming a couple things. Idolatrous power. Now fill in your blanks with whatever that might look like. Any, any power other than the resurrection power of Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. It's an idolatrous power. It's a, it's a power that is from any other sort of what you would call God. So the power of religion, the power of success, the power of money, the power of control, uh, the power of uh, righteousness, self-righteousness, all of these powers that would offer to us, that would come to us with some level of promise of salvation in any way. Uh, this idolatrous power, I'm actually claiming that from these passages we can see that it pursues, it actively pursues death in the face of life. Now, here's the reality. Idolatrous power is never going to tempt you with, hey, I've got something for you, and on the back end of it is death. It's going to be awesome. That's never how idolatrous power tempts us, right? It never, it never comes to us with the carrot of death and says, do you want to die? Do you want to die? It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It never does that. It always promises something other than what it gives. But let it, be, let it be said that in actuality, 
based on the exclusive claim that Jesus makes, right? That Peter says here in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only way. All right, so any other type of idolatrous power then would be an active pursuit of death, even if it doesn't know it's actively pursuing it. I did some Googling, which can be very dangerous, but it's also a lot of fun. The Google machine is one of my favorite machines to operate with. I explored a little bit about litigation under this term, and actually found out there's a whole world of it. It's called willful blindness. Did you guys know that this is an actual lawful term? Willful blindness? So it kind of goes like this, right? So there's litigation out there, right? So if you do something stupid you can get sued. We know this to be true. But did you know that, like, let's say you're a packaging company, and uh, let's say somebody else does something really stupid, like let's say they just want to ship some drugs, right? And you're just the packaging company. You don't want to ship drugs. That's not your whole goal. You're, you're FedEx. You want to ship good stuff. You don't want to ship the bad stuff. So, but somebody comes to you and wants to ship the bad stuff. And let's say uh, you have a box, and they, they say, hey, I want to ship this stuff to Arkansas. You're like, okay, cool. What's in the box? And they're like, oh, nothing. It's okay. Oh, okay. All right, fine. Um, off, to, off to Arkansas. And there it goes. And all of a sudden, something bad happens in Arkansas. This is not a great example. Uh, I mean, it could be a bomb. It could be something horrible. Um, but the reality is, do you, if you don't, if you are willfully blind, you say, well, I'm just not going to, I'm just, I'm just not going to open up. If I don't know, I can't be held liable for that? Well, there actually is a legal term. Sometimes, if you are willfully blind, you could actually be litigated yourself. That actual, I just discovered this, it's an actual, it's an actual thing. You can actually be sued for willful blindness, or you might say willful ignorance. I just chose not to know. Uh, apparently, this happens in uh, a lot of, you can imagine, in, in the financial world a lot, right? Well, if I just don't open up that account, I don't have to see what's going on there. And all of a sudden, boom, not only is the person who did bad being sued, now your bank is also being sued. Why? Because you were willfully blind. I'm actually claiming here that idolatrous power, any pursuit of power not named Jesus, is willfully blind. I'm actually making this assumption that idolatrous power pursues death in the face of actual resurrection life. And I think this is exactly what's happening in our, in our story. Look down at verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They had already seen the, the, the lame man healed. If you go down to verse 22, the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Remember, he was lame from birth. This is a 40-year-old situation that they were well aware of. And you remember the symbiotic relationship this man had with the Jewish system. They were well aware of this man's condition. And yet we have here this willful blindness. But understand, they were able to see some things. Look in verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter. They perceived that they were uneducated. Look, look what Luke is doing to try to draw what they did see. They saw the boldness. They perceived the uneducatedness. They recognized the Jesusness. And they saw the man's healedness. All of these things they were able to see. But what was the one thing they would not look at? 
What was the one thing that they rejected this entire time was the miraculous resurrection power of Jesus to heal a man. They never saw it. They were willfully blind. They willfully pursued death. They held on to what we would rather have some sort of scientific, rational argumentation for why this man was fixed. We won't call him healed. He was just fixed, right? Something happened. We'd rather have some sort of rational explanation for this than to bank on the miraculous, to bank on pure 100% resurrection. Speaking of uh, willful blindness, this is really interesting. I actually found this uh, in, a, in a business article. I, again, I did, I did a good deal of research. It was one of those dark rabbit holes that probably took up way too much time. I was like, I should not be spending too much time on this. But it was actually really fascinating. I didn't know that it was kind of a, a world, a dark hole, this willful blindness stuff. Roy Spence, a Texan advertising executive, at one point refused to work with Enron. You guys remember Enron and the debacle of all that happened there. Uh, finances went up in flames. There was some scandalous stuff that happened, and it just, I mean, it went to pot so quickly. It was like so big and then boom, so bad. Well, this guy, Roy Spence, a Texan advertising executive, at one point refused. He actually just said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing business with, with Enron. And there was a, a question as to, well, how, how did he see what no one else seemed to see about what was going to happen with Enron? Well, he thought of a, a lifetime of seeing through the eyes of the powerless gave him different perspective. And this is what he says, quote, My sister had cystic fibrosis. And I used to push her wheelchair to school every morning. I could see powerful people pitying us, oblivious to the richness of our relationship. And it made me ask then, as I do now, well, if they're missing so much about us, what am I missing about them? Basically, he's admitting, I, I, had, to, I had to actually pursue this perspective, this relationship, from the eyes of the powerlessness. What if I had no power at all? How would I interact with this person? What if I had nothing to bring to the table? What can I see then? And this is exactly what we see here in the apostles. Powerlessness, uneducatedness. They didn't have anything, no money, no power, no piety, no nothing, but a lame man and two apostles. And yet somehow they're able to see the miraculous and the powerful aren't able to see anything. Roy's ability to see with the eyes of the powerless allowed him to ask deeper questions, questions related to the reality of what was going on with Enron and allowed him to escape disaster. Willful blindness can be dangerous. And yet we see here, Peter and John were able to see things very clear. In verse uh, 19, Peter and John make a clear distinction between their power, the Sadducees' power, and God's power. It's, it, it couldn't be more clear. And John and, and Peter pointed out, look, look what they say. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, that, you got to decide that. There, there's, Peter and John are saying, there's two things at work here. There's you, and then there's God, which is fascinating. Can you imagine saying that to a group of religious Sadducees? There's two things that you're, you got to wrestle with. I mean, to a group of religious people, you've got to wrestle with your own thoughts or you've got to wrestle with God's thoughts. 
Now listen, I can't make that decision for you. I would, I would expect, as religious people, you would go with God's side, but I think that's a little too hard for you at the moment. So we can't decide that for you. But listen, when it comes to us, let me be very clear. We can't unsee what we saw. We can't undo what was done. We, we, we have to speak. There's no, we have to speak. We saw life happen. We saw miraculous happen. So we can't unsee that, man. So you're going to have to wrestle with, you want to keep going after death? You want to keep making sure people don't necessarily find resurrection? That's fine. That's on you. Between you and God, you've got to work that out. But for us, we're going after life. It's powerful. Idolatrous power pursues death in the face of life. It is what it is. It's the truth. It's the reality of it. It's an active pursuit. Any sort of idolatrous power and pursuit of power is simply a pursuit of death in the face of resurrection life. But yet we also see the exact opposite here. God's power, oops, every time. God's power gives life in the face of death. And this is what makes the the church unstoppable. As persecution and as threats and as warnings increase, so does the faith and the hope and the fellowship of the church in Christ. And this is, this is the whole rest of the book of Acts in theory, because things are not going to get better here. I don't, you know, I don't know if you've read ahead in the book of Acts, but this is the tip of the iceberg, and things are not going to get better uh, for the early church. And even the things not recorded in Acts, if you know history, uh, at all. The, the early church, uh, this, this is kind of some high points in the life of the early church. Uh, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get too much brighter uh, in the next uh, few hundred years. And certainly you could say, well, for us, it looks pretty nice. It looks pretty cozy. And I would just say, well, understand we, we've had some, some special graces from the Lord to be able to do what we do in, in freedom, without opposition, without any fear, Uh, But my friends, we can uh, rest in the promise that we too, on account of Christ, will face persecution. It will happen. And we are facing persecution. You might not be able to see it. It might not be as as present here in our country and in our time, uh, but it is certainly here on this earth and against our people and against Christ. And so the the question is for, for us, as we understand that God's power gives life in the face of death, well, We're not averse to all things death. We experience that. We walk through that. We're certainly aware of the brokenness and death of this life. Uh, But even in the face of uh, persecution-type death or threatened kind of death or warnings kind of death, it it would behoove us to kind of lean into this situation. How can we experience the, the life of Christ? How can we lean into the powerful resurrection life of Christ? Well, I think from this passage, there are really three particular ways, and we'll, we'll look at them. How, how do we embrace the life of Christ? It's really the question. First of all, we embrace the life of Christ by, first of all, embracing Christ's suffering. They were released from the, uh, from the council here, and they go right to their friends and their families. They go back to the church and report what was said, and immediately they begin to pray. And immediately they begin to tie what is happening to them directly to the sufferings of Christ. Uh, it, it's, it's not a surprise that they kind of feel that this is kind of the overflow 
of what has happened to Jesus. They make a direct relation, hey, we saw Jesus crucified, we saw Jesus persecuted, we saw Jesus suffer, and if so, if we're going to stand up and proclaim the same resurrection power, well, we too are no doubt going to face the same sorts of persecution. And so they begin to pray this way. Verse 25, uh, they recognize that even David was uh, aware of this. this. This passage comes from Psalm 2, so this is quoted from the psalmist, uh, who says the Gentiles, in verse 25, the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This was, this was seen, this was recognizable for, uh, for these people living in this time who no doubt have a, a, a Jewish heritage. They could see that, yes, uh, even in relation to the Psalms, what David was uh, talking about, persecution is for the people of God. Verse 27, truly in this city, we saw it, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, you sent, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand had, take, had predestined to take place. They saw it as a direct correlation. Psalm, Psalm 2, oh yeah, this is all about the suffering Messiah that we saw in Jesus, and, and this is us. This is us. Lord, we are facing these same kinds of threats and the same kind of persecution. My friends, it's also for us. Paul says in Colossians 1, uh, I have it here listed on the screen. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. For in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages uh, throughout generations revealed now to his saints. He wasn't saying that somehow there was something uh, in, in terms of atonement that was lacking in Jesus' suffering, but he was basically saying the suffering that Jesus embraced from the, the leaders of this world and the rulers of the world and the, the darkness of this world would continue to spill out towards his people. This is what we too will also embrace. They didn't actually see this. It's amazing to, to recognize they didn't see this as a personal attack on them. They recognized this as an overflowing attack from Jesus. Notice they weren't feeling sorry for themselves. But they actually saw themselves in union with the Christ. It actually, in one sense, kind of gave them assurance that this wasn't a, this wasn't a personal vendetta that the world has against us personally, as if they, they don't like us no, they don't, like, they don't like Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus was persecuted, so Christian, you, you will be persecuted. Why? And again, take this as a blessed assurance. Let this blessed assurance control. You are in Jesus. You are in him. And so when he is persecuted, so you are persecuted. And when you are persecuted for Christ's sake, he is being persecuted. What, what, how, like, how does that make sense? Romans 6, 4, Paul talks about this. Why? We were buried, therefore, with, uh, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, you see the hope there? It might sound like horrible on the front end, like we are united with him in his death, so we too will suffer in ways that he suffered. But also, here's the hope, just as he was raised from the dead, so we too, in Christ, will be raised from the dead to walk in a new experience of life. 
Even in the face of death, even in the face of persecution and suffering, you too, like Jesus, will experience resurrection life. Oh, my friends, if we get a, if we get a taste of that in this world, how wonderful will that be? And I'm not out here advocating we'd be obnoxious to, to make that happen. I think Jesus will be obnoxious enough to, to sinful people. He's obnoxious enough in my heart, Right? He rouses so much hostility in my own heart. Who knows what he's doing out there? And we're going we're gonna to receive more of that. But you know what? Just as Jesus died and was raised, so we too will experience death and resurrection even here presently, even filled with the Spirit so that we might walk in new life. We're going to read a lot from Romans 8 that talks about the Spirit who continues to bring the life of Christ within us even when we suffer. That's, that's for another point later on, but hang on to that. It's coming. We embrace the life of Christ as we embrace his suffering. It's kind of dumb to say, but before resurrection, you have to die. Right? As Nikki said one time when talking about financial problems, she's like, sometimes to get out of a hole, you have to get in a hole. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll preach. I'll put that on the sipsionary right there. To experience resurrection, we must face death. It's, it's, it's the way it is. It's the way, it's the way it works. But oh, that we would taste resurrection. Oh, that we would taste a glorified life. Oh, that we would taste that. We embrace his suffering. As witnesses, we must renounce, we, we must renounce hope in any natural power. We, we, ha- we have to. We, as witnesses of Christ, we must renounce any natural power. We are banking on our, 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 all, all of our eternal hopes. We are banking our eternal hopes on a miracle. Do you, do you understand that? We, we are not banking our hopes on some Sadducee get better program. We're not, we're not banking on our hopes on if we can just figure out a couple tricks of life, then we can kind of make this work. We, we are banking, like the lame man, we are banking that when our legs don't work, Jesus resurrects them and makes them work. We, we are banking on that same miracle. When we die, we are banking on Jesus bringing us to life again, right? As Paul says in, in, in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. That, that is the hope of the Christian experience. No, nothing short of that. Total miracle. God doesn't work from good to bad. He doesn't work from better to best. He works from dead to alive. That's how he works. We must embrace his suffering, but we also must embrace his sovereign plan. We must embrace his sovereign plan. Well, what might God be sovereign over? Well, as, as they pray, they let us know. Verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So he, he, he rules over creation. He's sovereign over all of that. There's, there's nothing 
nothing. There's no power on this planet that is outside his rule and his reign. All of creation bows to him. Which means he's using it all for towards the cause. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to skip ahead to Romans 8. I'm just trying. I'm just, hold me back. Hold me back. Try not to skip ahead. But God is using all of creation, all the events of creation, to guide his people through death and through life. Let that, let that sink in. He's sovereign over creation. But also he rules over evil. Verses 25 and 26. Again, this comes from Psalm 2. So God isn't surprised by threats and, and persecution in the book of Acts. Why? He's already got it planned in, a, in Psalm 2. He already knows what's going to happen. It's like, oh yeah, this is all part of the plan. The Gentiles are going to rage. Kings and rulers are going to set their, their, their gaze against the Lord and his anointed. That's, oh yeah, Psalm 2. That's back in Psalm 2. We're, we're well ahead of you. It's amazing. He's sovereign, over, he's sovereign over evil, but he's also totally sovereign over salvation. In some weird way, we can say God allows what is evil in this world to work towards the salvation and towards the good of his people. He even allowed uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever his hand and his plan had predestined to take place. It was on purpose. It was planned. It was charted out from eternity past. This was always going to happen. Not a surprise. P- whatever's happening in our country right now that we might feel like is some sort of attack, God's not surprised. He's not surprised. I mean, he told us in Psalm 2, but he had it planned well before that. Whatever, whatever's coming down the pike for us, wh- whatever sort of persecution you might face on account of Christ, whatever God is going to do to work into your life his sanctified salvation, it's already planned. Again, hold me back from Romans 8. Hold me back. It's coming, it's coming. I should, I should just jump right there, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait for a, for a better time. All right. Third, so we embrace his sovereign plan. It's all his. It's all, it's all his. And then third, we embrace the power of the Spirit. And here we go. All right, here we go. Turn to Romans 8. Yes, it's here. It's here. Embrace the power of the Spirit. I know Quentin said that this could be dangerous waters for us. It certainly could. But look what they're doing. Look what's happening here. First of all, we see that they're praying. Let it be, let it be recognized. They suffer threats. They suffer persecution. They come back and tell their family and friends. And what's the very first thing they do? They fellowship with God by the Spirit in prayer. They take it right to Him. Why? Because they know. Just as Jesus left, Jesus ascended. Jesus, in one sense, he's already ascended on his throne. He's already there ruling and reigning. But he didn't leave them. He gave them nothing short of his own personal presence by virtue of the Spirit. And so they use that. They They actually catalyze that. They actually take advantage of that. And they say, dear Lord, we come to you by the, by the intercessory work of the Spirit. And I'm here before you. And we're going we're gonna to pray. This is why Paul says in in Romans 8, if you're there in Romans 8, 26 through 27, some powerful, powerful verses. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. There are times, and these times are even only going to increase, 
when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See that? See that? We, we, we pray by the Spirit because the Spirit is already praying for us. He's, ar- he's already doing the work. And we're simply joining in fellowship with the Spirit. We're, we're uniting ourselves to the present life of Christ here among us. And we're praying, saying, oh Lord, we have some things to say. Or maybe from Romans 8, you're saying, oh Lord, we have no idea what to pray. But we are here with you. And you are here with us. You are interceding for us with groans too deep. So in him we pray. But in him we speak. And notice what they, notice what they pray for. They don't pray for it to go away. They don't pray for the persecutions to go away. In one weird sense, I can even argue from this text that they're praying for more. They understand that, that you have to die in order to have resurrection power. And so they're saying, bring it on. Remember what they said to, to the Sadducees? They're like, listen, you, you guys better stop talking about the name of Jesus. And they're like, hey, you guys got to decide that. We're going to disobey. We're, we're, not do, we're not doing that. So it's like, uh, what is that? Like huge waterfall? Sharp rocks at the bottom? Bring it on. Here we go. We know, we know what we're up against. We know what we're going to do. Like, I can't, I can't unsee it. I'm going to continue speaking. I'm going to continue doing what God's asked me to do. And so they know that. And so in verse 31, after they had, pre- they, uh, um, uh, in, in verse, thir- uh, tw- excuse me, 29, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak. I mean, there's, there's no backing down. They're not like, Lord, just make it all stop. No, they're like, actually, like, help, help with the threats. In the middle of the threats, help us to speak more. Help us to actually be more bold when they speak against us. Help us to speak louder. As you stretch out your hand and heal and signs and wonders are done. Which means third, in, in, in him we are renewed. In the spirit we are renewed. So in him we pray, in him we speak, and in him we are made new. And if you're there in, uh, in um, the book of Romans, I wanted to ask you to, to look there real quick as I pull up mine because I didn't actually write these verses down good. <clears throat> Romans 8, uh, first look at verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of Christ's righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Talking about this, this Trinity aspect, right? We're going, we're going through this. It's one of my favorite passages on the Trinity. That he just swaps them out synonymously. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny, actually. Uh, but if, uh, go back and read it again, sort of. But if, if the spirit, in fact, dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the spirit, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's like Christ, spirit, spirit of Christ, spirit of God, spirit, Christ, you. It's like this, yeah. 
This is what it means to embrace the life of Christ. Christ dwells with us, and so the Spirit is bringing death and life constantly into us. And so in him, we are constantly praying, we're constantly speaking, things are happening around us, and more persecution is coming, forcing us to die, and then we're also in him, we're being made new. It's this constant cycle of death and life as the Spirit continues to work in us. Is that for real? Is that really what's happening? Is God really doing that? Absolutely. Go down to uh, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, this is right after that spirit intercedes for us passage, so there are really hard things in life, right? We don't even know how to pray often. We're all groaning inwardly as we're waiting for the adoption of sons. Hard things are coming. Verse 28, but for those who, we we know this. For those who love God, all things are working together for good. God is totally sovereign. God's salvation plan is well intact. For those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Verse 29, those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now you ask yourself, what does the life of Jesus look like? Is there an uphill trajectory of awesomeness? Or is there a downhill trajectory of death and suffering and loss? Yeah. Yeah. So we should understand as Jesus, as the Spirit of God, is conforming us to the image of his son should look a little bit more like death on the front end. We should be able to embrace that. That's where it's headed. But also, we, we also know where, where it is going. It is headed to glory. After death, there is resurrection. That's certainly what happens with, with Jesus. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew or foreloved, he predestined sovereignly to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who justified, he has already glorified. It's a done deal. Already set in stone. That's, that's what's happening. That's, that's our life. That's where we're headed. And, and, and the, the apostles here recognize this. The early church recognized this and said, Lord, oh Lord, bring it on. Oh Lord, let us, let us, let us cling only to the power of Jesus. As we speak more boldly, let, allow, allow us to speak the word of God. And then you continue to heal and restore and you do your work. And we will wait for you. We will listen to you. We will, we will be your agents and your servants. As, as you've, if you've called us to simply speak, you just heal and renew and, and do your thing, Jesus. You, you rock and roll in here. And we'll, we'll be your servants. And as they prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Oh, my friends, let, let that happen here. Let that happen in your life. And we don't necessarily need, need all the fireworks. If God wants to bring fireworks of the Spirit, I'm all here for that. That'd be great. But also, we can, we, can be, we can be filled with the Spirit by being filled with the word and speaking the word so boldly to one another. To, to go to people who are really hurting. And say, Do you, hey, I know you've tried everything to fix whatever solution that is, whatever. But did you know that? Have you ever thought about, have you ever thought about how Jesus actually raises dead people? Have you, ever th- have you ever thought about that? I know it might feel like there's no hope in this way, whatever it is. 
Have you ever thought about how, how Jesus resurrects people? I, I wonder if there's, there's people here who are looking for cures towards anxiety or, or depression. or like We're looking to all sorts of things, and certainly these things exist, and they're real, and they're hard. Would you ever thought like, hey, I know you're wrestling with some, some, some guilt, maybe, some, some shame. Have you ever really considered that when Jesus died on the cross for you, he paid for every single one of your sins, and you know that God is not mad at you anymore because of what Jesus has done for you. You ever, ever stopped to consider that? I know there might be people in this earth that are mad at you for whatever reason, but you know, the sovereign Lord who created all this, who, who created the universe and sustains everything, this powerful God has a deep love for you, and he sent Jesus to you to forgive you and to set you free from everything that ails you. Have you ever stopped to consider that? We might be able to speak boldly like that. I, I, I wonder what kind of fireworks would go on in, in a world like that, in a church like that, in a church community like that. I want to know, and so I'm, I'm praying along with you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm praying that we would be able to embrace the sufferings of Christ, embrace the sovereign plan of God, and embrace the power of the Spirit. And I, I'm praying that that would look like we, we pray a little bit more. And I pray that it looks like we would speak a little bit more. And I pray that it would look like that we are actually being renewed. Actually being renewed. Instead of the idolatrous power, like, like, yeah, I made more money this week, which seems to solve some level of problem, but just exacerbates more in my soul, right? Or like, hey, this, this, this good thing happened, or, or, or whatever. Like, the, anything not named Jesus categories of my life. Yes, that happened. Great, cool. But what about Resurrection. What, what about internal souls being renewed? And understanding that that might feel like death and life simultaneously. That's, that's, what I, that's what I long for for our church. That's what I long for for this community. We don't need any more quick fixes and um, Oprah answers. And I don't mind Oprah. She's fine. I'm not picking on her. But I'm just saying none of that is resurrection. And I'm praying that we would have the honesty and not be so willfully blind to ignore our real problem and to be so open and honest with, hey, we can't unsee that. We can't, uns- we can't unsee Jesus walking out of, out, out of the grave. And I know, I know some of your stories, right? I, I can't unsee Blake Charlton speaking about how God has, has, has really helped him recover from alcoholism. I, that's, that's power. I can't unsee that. I can't, I can't undo that, right? I have to speak about what I've, what I've seen. I know some of the struggles you guys are, are wrestling with and how Jesus has walked with you in the middle of death and brought life. And I, just, I, I can't unsee that. I can't go back against that. I got to continue to speak. I got to continue to talk about that. And I pray that that would happen, happen even more. Let's be bold. Let's be bold. Because we can be. We can be. There's... there's what is man going to do to us? What, what's in front of us? Who, who's going to separate us from the love of God? Right? Persecution, famine, sword, nakedness. Can, can anyone bring a charge against God's elect? Can anybody do that? What God has declared righteous, can anyone declare unrighteous? No. No. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we can speak. We can speak. Let's pray.
God, I pray that you would help us, fill us, fill us with your spirit. Allow us to be so filled with the love of God that we can't help but speak of the things that you have done in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I pray that we would be a contagious community of people who speak boldly of the things of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us even when we face death, which is just a shadow, that we would be able to be courageous, not because there's something cool about being courageous, but because of the the freedom that God has given us away from sin and death. That we can actually walk into hard things and proclaim Jesus' power over it. We can we can walk into situations where where loved ones are hurting and broken, and we can actually speak the, the resurrection power of Christ into that life and situation. So Father, as we pray and as we speak, Father, I, I pray that you would do the healing, that you would do the restoration in our community, in our church, and in this world, Father. In this nation, we, we need that. So Father, fill us for these things and allow us to see the power of God Yeah.